<laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the V-Suit Podcast. Imagine that you've already seen the dancers with laser beams, disco music and more CGI than Sharknado. All that's left is three guys on stage. Yes, it's another V-Soup au naturel. Recorded on day two of VMworld with your regular hosts who aren't anywhere near San Francisco. Myself, Chris Dearden, Ed Sowen and Christian Moan. Hi guys. Hey, but I do love the Sharknado reference. <laughs> I, I remember one time flying home from, I, would, I was flying back from somewhere and I actually watched Sharknado. I laughed so hard at the bad acting. I think it was jet lag though, not that I actually liked the movie. Yeah, it, it's, you're only going to like that in some form of hysterical laughter. It, it's, it is a truly, truly horrible piece of filmmaking. Well, it's, 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 it's kind of a tech conference keynote thing. Um, yeah, I was going to say, speaking of bits of filmmaking, have you seen the latest DMC hip-hop uh, video? Uh, yeah. I've sworn off hip hop videos since like the fifteenth one came out. <laughs> I, I, I found the found the other ones pretty good, to be honest. But they could have picked something that actually had lyrics in it. Yeah, uh, it was still funny. Yeah, it was, but still, um, I, I think the other ones have been better, to be honest. But it's a uh, it's a fun thing anyway. It doesn't matter, so. Yeah, yeah, it's you know it's always nice to to do something for for VMworld that's you know, a little bit different, but uh, a bit fun. Yeah, well, you know, some some people make videos. Some other guys just buy outrageous clothes and wear them. Um, well, there, there is that. There is that. I, in yeah. fact, I'm waiting for my VMworld outfit to clear customs at the moment. Uh, <laughs> Are you worried that it won't clear customs? I, well, I'm worried that, that um, I'm going to have some problems importing it into 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 uh, Spain. Really, does it, does it include meat products or what? <laughs> it, no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's a bacon suit. Okay, but I'm worried that they're going to X-ray my suitcase and, and think that I'm carrying something I shouldn't be carrying. So <laughs> it's uh, it, it's it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a fun one. Cool. But yeah, so aside from the you know amazing entrances and and slight peacocking, and it was actually you know it was quite a dramatic start to the keynote. Um, and uh, honestly, I, I find keynotes can be a bit of a struggle sometimes. You, you really want it's almost worth waiting actually for the the many blog posts that pop up or some of the live tweets where they kind of just bit of the waffle and the stuff that the marketing people have invented and, and actually work out what they're trying to say about it and you know what the various announcements are. Um, and I guess the, the biggest announcement really has been around the sort of the Evo Rail uh, or Ivorial if you uh, have lost <laughs> Evo Rail? What? No. Ivorial, yes. Well I didn't see the um, the colon first and I just thought that just sounds like a really shit version of a ring. <laughs> But, you know, so the rail is a redundant array of inexpensive, what, L? L, -l, -l limes. No, that's, <laughs> that sounds like my bar sort of thing. <laughs> but I, I, I guess that's actually not enough. Yeah. I mean, okay, so it, it looks... Yeah, I, th I think it, it's to do with that's the... It's the form factor. Yeah, it's 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 a rack mount. I don't know yeah. why they didn't call it Evo Rack or Evorac. That's, um, that's Evorac. yeah, 
that's the no- next one that they're going to announce. Actually. Okay, because that's actually a whole. Presumably, that's a bigger version where you exactly. can exactly. That's a that's a probably an, an entire rack of of equipment, including the top of rack, uh, thinking switches and everything. Uh, okay. Uh, so I, actually, currently, uh, about twenty percent of the uh, VMware hands-on labs are running on Evo rack at the moment, not on rail, but on rack. Okay, so it's a product that exists, but it's uh, it's not actually ready for market yet. Yeah. But uh, from my in, in understanding, Evo Rail also required a top of the top of the rack ten gig switch as well. Yeah, it looks like it, but that isn't included in the uh, the actual uh, hardware that you buy. To be honest, uh, or to as as far as I can see, that that isn't a part of the uh, one throat choke deal. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, so basically, what the, it's what a different it appendage to grab all together. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's just grab your ten gig by the tail. Oh, yeah, well, you never know. Well, I'd say the whole Evo thing has been kind of kind of funny, though. I've, I've been doing a lot of uh, research on Project Marvin, which basically wasn't Project Marvin at all. Uh, Marvin was just the code name for the team working on Evo. Uh, but the name change actually happened uh, just a few weeks ago. So. so, like Mystic or something like that? Yeah, Mystic was the EMC part of it. Ah, okay. But it's basically the same project. Hmm. So, it's uh, it's going to be, inter- be interesting. What, as, as with everything else that gets announced and, and, and gets some attention like this, and, and, and it looks really interesting, uh, and I have a spe- a, a, a quite a few specific uh, use cases for it, potentially, uh, with a few of my clients. But the problem is that right now, no one knows what it's going to cost. And that's, whenever VMware actually announces something, you have no idea what the price is. And that's kind of frustrating. But let's <laughs> face it, it's never been cheap. No, no, no. If you've ever announced something, you know, it's always more expensive than you think. I mean, look at vSAN. vSAN, there was so much excitement about vSAN. vSAN, you know, everyone's going to use it. And then the pricing came out. And, like, you really just saw everyone's sort of enthusiasm deflate like an old balloon. It was just like, oh, and it's that much? Oh, okay. Let's go back to the pause. Um, which is a real shame because I, I like the concept of vSAN. And I think, it, well, everyone liked the idea of it. And it, it sounds like a great product. And they put in a lot of thought, a lot of work behind it. But then when it comes to the, the actual hard and far, the cold light of the day, um, and someone presents you with a bill for some software um, that just seems disproportionately expensive. Except for in the Visa uh, part on the VDI side, because that they actually managed to to give it an, a decent pricing there with a yeah the VDI you know, it's kind of all built in, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, it's a it's a, a per user add on on the license, which is about fifty dollars, I think, and that's okay, it. That's, so that's that's, okay. that's perfect. And yeah. I think that's where Evo Rail would really make the most sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the VDI yeah. side of things, which is. Isn't that just traditionally sort of where you know people Nutanix kind of plays and yeah. and simplicity to an extent? Yeah. Um, so you know it, it's that market that they're after, and they, they seem quite sort of unabashed about that's the market they're going after. Ba- basically, as far as I can uh, I can tell, uh, Evo Rail is positioned pretty much as a, uh, a response to Nutanix. 
Yeah, it's Teutonic's lunch. We're going to eat it. Yeah, and then you have the evil rack thing, which is probably going to be marketed against the V blocks. Yeah, but the funny thing is, is yeah, EMC VMware, they're just competing against each other in friendly yeah, competitions. There so. is there is one player there that hasn't gotten much mention, and that's Cisco. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah I mean, will v, will VCE switch to? Uh, rather than v, uh, V-Block-based solutions, are they going to go, well, actually, yeah, that V-Block, it was all right, but now we're going to, everything's going to be Evo-Rack or Evo-Rack. Um, yeah, but then when the switch is involved, included in Evo-Rack, which, Christian, it sounded like it, you made it sound like it was, I wonder if that would actually be Cisco or just some off-brand or some commodity type of thing. It will most likely be a commodity thing because on Evo-Rack, uh, they actually bundle NSX. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you, as long mm. as you've got NSX, because um, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm not an NSX expert, but don't, does the the actual type of rack switch that you use with NSX does that have to have some form of NSX capable sort of um, uh, compatibility or thing, or can you just go and buy like a Force Ten or you know, I think Belkin, a ten gig switch? Well, perhaps not a Belkin. Um, I, yeah, I think there's probably I'm not a, no expert either there's probably an HCL of sorts there as well uh, and it's kind of funny that VMware is actually bringing a sort of hardware solution to the market even though it's um, done with uh, vendors and, and OEMs and VARs and whatever and they're, they're packaging it as a, a hardware solution as well and as someone in, in VMware once said, it, it's, is it really software-defined if, if you need uh, actual to buy specific tin? I don't know. But, but looking at the whole Evo thing and looking at which hardware vendors are actually on board there on launch day, uh, you see Dell and you see Supermicro naturally and Fujitsu and a couple of others, but you don't see HP and you don't see any Cisco stuff. Uh, Cisco is is one thing. HP, it might be because they're uh, waiting for their Generation 9 uh, servers or something and probably will come up with something at some point. But it's interesting to see that they aren't actually included. The problem and, is is these, these older, I call them legacy server vendors. Yeah. Um, they can't keep up. They're really hulking monsters of companies. They, they can't change quickly. And Dell, and Dell isn't? Yeah, was, well, no, I mean, Dell is not involved, are they? Yeah, yeah. they are. Okay, yeah. okay, then I take they, that back. They actually have everything a, I just said. <laughs> they, they actually have um, an Evo uh, Rail demo yeah. at their booth at VMware, or at okay. VMworld. Basically, uh, presumably, it's, it's just the same hardware that you could either, you can run Evo Rail on it, or you can run Nutanix on it. Yeah, pretty much. Dell are kind of being like the girl that turns up a little bit too early to the party. <laughs> that's going home with just about anyone by the end of it with a, with a bunch of 10 gig ports exactly yeah, uh, <laughs> just software defined anyway just uh, um, but, but the thing is if you look at the announcements done with regards to NSX as well at VMware or at VMworld you actually see Dell pop up there as well it looks it really looks like Dell and VMware is just about to get married or something they're pretty close to being Actually, fiancés or whatever. There, <laughs> there seems to be something going on there. 
And they're not too shy about showing it either, so I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're already very big uh, partners like that with, mm -hmm. I mean, you can, yeah, they're one of the largest partners, I think, worldwide. Yeah. 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 So it, it, it was interesting to see that Dell is actually able to do stuff like this, and HP seems to be seemingly un, uh, unable to do the same. Well, surely if if HP, oh no, HP have aren't part of that launch announcement, so you know they're going to do do their own thing. But yeah, it might be it might be just that you never know. Yeah, you know, but is that are they just waiting for the right form factor because they they don't really have at the moment you know something that is a uh, a two unit four blade solution. Their their smallest um, rack chassis is probably a little bit small for that. Um, because you know they, they've got the networking capabilities, so there's no reason why they couldn't do it. Um, exactly, and that's probably one of the reasons why Dell is on board with the whole NFX thing as well. Is that they have the actual switch hardware? It's just the management and, and setup of them that isn't that good. <laughs> so they they can actually move the packets along just fine. It's just that no one buys them. And if you, if you can change that over to actually just providing uh, the hardware and let someone else take care of the uh, provisioning part and, 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 and configuration part of it, why not? Well, also I look at it not from a fully technical perspective, but Dell, they went through this whole thing where they were acquiring like everybody and anybody. Yeah, I, and, don't, think, um, it, I, I don't think Dell even knows what, they're, what they own. Uh, still, uh, and then they got into themselves into a bit of trouble where they weren't making so much money. Now here would be my guess. Then, then these this investment company started working with them. Now they're trying to make themselves profitable in whatever way possible. So maybe they're quicker to take risks, right? Yeah, could be. Mm -hmm. But they, they, then again, they went private, so, so no one really knows what they're up to. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't have the same. I'm I'm no no expert on economics or or Wall Street or stock exchanges or whatever, but they don't have the same re reporting responsibilities as the listed company does. Mm -hmm. So I guess that makes them. It that's probably one of the reasons why they went private again as well. It would be probably be easier for them to to uh, switch focus quicker without having to actually announce it to everyone all of the time. Yeah, and I'm sure this investment f uh, firm like required them to go private. Yeah, I wouldn't know. It seems I'm just talking about things I don't know anything about today anyway, so why it's not? It's all right, just we can... Sorry, we, we try not to change that theme uh, throughout the different episodes anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been like that for three years now, who cares? <laughs> yeah, just talk something, it might be right, it might be wrong, who cares, really? Who cares, we're going to need a bigger chopper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, um, something I did see that uh, is probably you know been waited for for a long time from the uh, from the technical industry. It probably doesn't interest the business guys as much, but the um, multi CPU fault tolerance. Yay! Finally, all and you need is a ten gig ten gig connection to actually get it working. But other than that, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it does need a, an absolute shit ton of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that's really cool, but still, I mean, with this lockstep and how it degrades performance, uh -huh. I still can't see it as an option. You know, I I, th I think a lot of people are going to try to use that to protect their V centers. 
Yeah, I can see it for V-Center protection. Because, you know... But is that because they haven't really worked out how to federate V-Center properly? So they'll well, uh, we'll just they haven't, they haven't announced anything around federation of it, or yeah, anything like that at all. Uh, they did announce today that the V-Sphere 6 beta uh, and V-Sphere 6 will include the fault-tolerant bit for up to four CPUs. Uh, and if you're going to replicate every instruction done on all those four CPUs in near real-time to another, another CPU, another host, that's going to saturate your links. Oh, yeah, it's, it's uh, going to... So it's, it's, it's going to be rather costly to run, in a way. The, the operational cost of that is pretty, pretty steep, but... Yeah, well, you're kind of limited to eight CP, four VMs or eight CPUs worth per host, mm-hmm. um, which seems like you know a sensible limit um, because yeah, you don't really um, unless you're really crazy, you're not going to be trying to run every VM fault tolerant in your environment unless you have really got a lot of bandwidth that you don't need. What uh, what, what you could do with it is basically run that on a management cluster and then replicate that internally inside of a, a rack chassis or between two rack chassis that are designated as management stuff. And then you don't want need to hit the the uh, the uh, go out of bound of the racks uh, anyway. And just yeah, your it, normal it, workloads simultaneously on, on a different uh, a different cluster. Yeah, and it can go across different um, uh, storage now. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to. So I quite like the idea. If you've got, if you're trying to replicate some sort of critical management VM, as you say, between a couple of hosts that have got standalone storage, like you know local local disk storage, um, that there's there's some you know some interesting ideas there for people again who are looking at alternatives to SAN technology. Um, but you still you need to have a shared disk for what appears to be the core and sort of the tiebreaker file. Yeah. Um, also, sub knows a file share witness in the Microsoft world. Um, so, yeah, it's you know, but that could just be NFS. Um, that doesn't need to be anything particularly complex. So, it, it's it might be an interesting way if you happen to have no shared storage but loads of networking for some bizarre reason. <laughs> uh, and the thing is, is I know we talk about protecting vCenter, but actually vCenter for us is it, ours is pretty big, and it's it's actually up there in performance with with some of our bigger apps at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, to drag that down would only cause management overhead at the moment. I hope that it could be faster. We'll see. Yeah, well, at least the client is faster in six. Yeah. Uh, but the, the other interesting thing about the, uh, I'm pretty sure, really well-orchestrated breaches of NDA from today's... Uh, uh, keynote sessions. Um, it's also the ability to do long-distance vMotion. Uh, 100 millisecond network round-trip latency, and you can do with it, as long as you're beneath 100 milliseconds, you can do long-distance vMotion stuff between clusters even. Um, so that's uh, that's also something that will be really interesting to actually try and move VMs across a WAN or whatever. Oh, that'll yeah. Make, yeah, that'll start to make the whole uh, the whole geo cluster thing more of a reality there. Exactly, and then the other part of that is, of course, with the rebranded V cake, uh, no V cheese, V whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
The, oh, oh, brand new. Oh, air, air, the new air stuff. Uh, we can air, yeah, right. Or, yeah, no. uh, we cheese. Uh, it's it's a it's not a double U. There's also another management layer as well. Was it V V something V? I know the 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 initials were like V R O I. Yeah, it's V. All of the management stuff. Uh, uh, we're talking operations manager, configuration manager, and that stuff. That stuff. That stuff. That stuff is 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 going to be called realize, and then so we realize uh, operations is the new name for operations manager, recenter operations manager. Okay, so uh, that's just a, a bit of a, a rebrand as well. Yeah, but the, the thing with Air now is that they are actually also announced that you can do a stretch layer too into the air uh, or the old hybrid cloud uh, stuff. And if you can do, if you can actually do live migrations from your local data center and up to the cloud services, the air stuff, yep. of live VMs with a stretch layer two, you don't have to actually reconfigure anything. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that in itself is, is pretty neat. That's pretty cool. But is that available for just regular? That, that's not available for regular pay as you go. You, didn't you have to buy dedicated for that? Probably. I don't know. I don't know the details as usual. So, because I, I remember seeing a presentation when they just launched the UK data center or the first UK data center. They've they've opened another one. But essentially, if you really wanted to, you could buy like a rack ne next to the the. VCloud Air, whatever it is, uh, data center. So you could just run a cable directly into it yeah. um, to the mysterious data center in Slough, which probably isn't Vodafone. Um, <laughs> but they, they've got another, they've opened up like another one in, in London as well. So you could do the same sort of thing that you could co-locate your infrastructure next to theirs and, and, and burst into it, I suppose, if you really wanted to. But Personally, I think that seems an awful lot to go to just to spend to do a, a mass data center migration just to uh, be able to take advantage of some more capacity when it'd probably be just cheaper to buy the more buy the more capacity if you weren't sort of space restricted anyway. Uh, mm. But I suppose if you are planning a, a greenfield site, and I'm sure someone still must be doing them, um, yeah, if if you knew that there was local resource additional resource available on tap, and it was easy to burst into you know without requiring any particularly special logic to do so that you could just be motion machines and clone them and you know build yeah. and just get a bill for whatever you use then that would make a lot of sense yeah i think so i didn't didn't mean uh didn't really mind the uh the rebranding of the air stuff it, 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 i've seen a lot of people complain about the name changes and whatever it's i don't i don't really care uh i thought air was okay Fair enough. Until I actually saw the disaster recovery option. Right. If you if you name something V Cloud Air Disaster Recovery, <laughs> that's the problem. I, I don't think they thought that one through. <laughs> Presumably, the, like the common management layer, really should have been called V Cloud Airplane. Yeah, management plane. Sure. <laughs> But air... Shirley, you can't be serious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am serious. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't be Shirley. Um, yeah. Air, air disaster doesn't ring it. That, that, that's not a good name. I'm sorry. I think I should have stuck with the Voreal. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, well. You never know when marketing is going to pull, pull in a disaster on you or something, so who knows? <laughs> I think, you know, they, they probably should sort of, ha there must be a focus group where they need to have people with slightly twisted minds to go, right, can you make anything rude or stupid out of this an acronym? Yeah. Uh, if so, then you need to have a different an acronym. Okay. You know, like, like car manufacturers have had to sort of, you know, change the, the classic one being as to why the small uh, General Motors car, the what used to be called the Nova, uh, had to be called the Corsa in Spain because Nova means doesn't go. Um and you know why HP had to change from calling G four, G five, G six, G seven, Gen eight, because I believe is that G eight in Chinese is penis. Um, so yeah, then Honda the department of, of dodgy, dodgy and acronyms. Yeah, the, the the best one I've seen basically in Norway was was Honda, who who launched a car called Honda Fitta, and everyone. Who listens to this in Norwegian is going to probably go after me for something or just swallowed something they shouldn't because I said that. Because that's a pretty rude name for a female bits. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you know, so, that's, it's actually very close to the German one, just replacing yeah. it with a U. But. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> nice. But then they did the best part. They renamed it and called it Jazz. Jazz. <laughs> the Honda Vajazzle. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you you wonder whether there are people that just don't see enough of the real life, or certainly don't read enough um, Twitter forums to realise that that you know, if if it's on the internet, we can make it read somehow. Yeah, but the, the the basic acid test for anything like that would be to create a new account on Twitter and just tweet a suggestion for a name and see what happens. <laughs> And if you hashtag that with VMware or whatever, uh, you'll get a bunch of reactions anyway. Uh, just stuck with Marvin. Yeah, <laughs> I could could probably would probably be the best idea, but I, I kind of like the Evo name. It's it's fine. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. It's just weird that there's like a colon in the middle of the name. You gotta have a colon. Yeah, that's the only thing I find to be weird. I think it should be like there should be a space. Yeah, there have been success. Oh, there have been successful things with colon. Wasn't there that band D-Ream? What was it? Yeah, it was the, the, the 90s band. I'm going to have to check and see whether it had a colon. But they they had one one hit with "Things Can Only Get Better," and the drummer from it was also is now a um, nuclear physicist working at CERN. Oh. <laughs> but then again, everyone has a colon. No problem. Yeah, we don't need to, yeah, we don't need to see one. them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you don't get them stuck. Yeah, they, they, they were D colon ream. D ream. <laughs> uh, and uh, alleged attack in 1994, things can only get better. Um, it's a, it's a, fond, a fondness of certain party political broadcasts in the UK. I think you uh, found the, the title for this episode right there. <laughs> things can only get better. That's it. <laughs> we should... We should also have a colon in there somewhere. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, everything's better with a little bit of uh, added uh, added pr uh, punctuation. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So uh, other other announcements, like one I find interesting, is the OpenStack thing. 
Yeah, I, d I didn't quite get that. I'm, OpenStack always slightly confuses me at the best of times anyway, um, as to, you know, are people selling it? Can you buy it? Can, uh, right now it's yeah. in beta, but it seems like, it seems like you're going to be able to just kind of uh, virtual appliance, virtual, er, yeah, vApp type of stuff and very easily be able to deploy an OpenStack instance which I'm, I'm interested in doing because I, I don't like to take the time that it takes to set up an actual one. So, I can talk about things I don't know, know nothing about again, but... Uh, yeah, you can just I, try, man. You know? Yeah, well, I, I don't quite get... Why do, why do I need OpenStack? Um, why, and why do I need to run it on VMware? Is it easier to install than VCAC? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's definitely not easier to install, but than VCAC, I, I guess. But uh, I mean, there's a lot of cool features there in in OpenStack. I mean, you know, if you had a look, I'm sure you'd like it as well, and then you'd find it useful, maybe. But yeah, I mean, if it, if it is something to make, <laughs> you should be in marketing ad. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the like yeah the ultimate try, marketing. Try my speech. stack, maybe. <laughs> Maybe you would find it useful. I don't know. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Just add a colon and it'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if there is a way of making it um, more straightforward to use, I think that's great. Um, but yeah, they, they they seem to be talking more openly. Excuse the pun um, uh, about their stack, about the integration. <laughs> yeah, because, well, because I, I think traditionally. Um, a lot of people have seen OpenStack as something that you run the entire thing on open source. Um, you know, the only bit you really have to pay for is some hardware, and you know, you spend forty-eight years hacking around in INI files to get things running, and then you may eventually get something, and you can do something which looks a little bit like Amazon if you really want to. Um, whereas, if they're trying to bring it OpenStack for the masses, per se. Um, and if they can do it quicker and cheaper than anyone else can do it, then perhaps it will facilitate that public cloud, sort of hybrid public cloud type thing. Yeah, because presumably you can federate an on-premises, remember that, premises, not premise, um, OpenStack instance to a public one. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that's, that's really cool, and also their, their whole, this, their whole uh, architecture for their HA is really cool. But it's all very shared, nothing, gritty kind of stuff, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, what what I think that, the even though I know nothing about OpenStack, I know nothing about NSX, I know nothing about a bunch of stuff, but what, what I'm actually realizing is that VMware is, and I, I've said, said this before, I know, but the hypervisor is no longer the actual core core business. They're doing so much other stuff now and so much broadening whatever they do. It's all based on vSphere, of course it is. Yeah. And, and it has to be. It's That's their delivery platform. But that, that's what it is. It's a delivery platform for everything else. And that's where I can see now that VMware and vSphere and Hyper-V and for Microsoft is completely different because all of the stuff that happens around the ESX, ESXi, and vSphere, you don't see any of that happening in the same degree around Hyper-V. 
No. No, there's not. Not, not even close. And you can compare hypervisors all day long, and it doesn't really matter. No, Hyper-V is more simplified at the moment. Yeah, it's still a few, you know, it's getting there. It's still a few years behind. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a perfectly good hypervisor for a, a lot of use cases. Yeah. But what you're lacking is basically everything else. Is, but is that due to a lack of ecosystem? So, you know, VMware were obviously very, very strong about building their ecosystem around the products initially to sort of kickstart, and then they've, they've gone and developed some of their own stuff, and they've made lots of acquisitions. But it's, um, it's way beyond actually making some of their own stuff. Yeah. It's way so, beyond that. What can Microsoft do to, to catch up? How, how how would they do that? I mean, do they have to? They started making some acquisitions. Is it that people just aren't writing cool stuff for Windows anymore? Well, I mean, if you look at uh, Azure, I mean, Azure's pretty far ahead in the whole hybrid cloud thing. Azure is pretty neat, actually. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. They they had what I would yeah, to use the Gartner phrase um, quite a high completeness of vision. I, I really liked the. Again, it was it was it's PowerPoint architecture of yeah. Here is your on-premises stuff, and there is your colo cloud, and there's Azure, and you can just kind of move workloads around as as and when you want it, willy-nilly, really, really easily, just drag and drop. The fact mm-hmm. it takes you about six months to set the infrastructure to get that to work up, and even then, it's a bit flaky. Um, you know, the, the harsh realities of it again don't always weigh up to the um, the PowerPoint. But as a story, I thought it was a really strong story. Yeah, uh, it is. And, and we're moving a lot of smaller customers in Norway to Azure and Office 365. And so that's, that's, that's 100% public, though, isn't it? So that's... Yeah. Um, they, which, in Norway, actually works because you've got great connections. Yeah, but they, they're getting rid of, rid of the racks. They're getting rid of the, the few servers they had. They're moving everything out of house and don't care anymore. And just pay for on-demand on stuff. And that's really, really good. It, it works. People are really happy with it. What do they do about printing? I think that's they always actually... That's like a real sort of, you know, wrench in the, uh, in yeah. the clockwork. Because um, millions of years ago, um, working for an outsourcer, and we, we kind of built them a, a hosted platform... Um, for a customer who had, you know, all of their laptops had a um, RDP session to an individual um, terminal services. You know, you sort of fairly classic kind of that. We hosted the Exchange server. We had some of their application servers uh, co-load, and they didn't have anything in their office, which was their idea because they had some insurance concerns. They didn't want to have any servers in there. And then they tried to print, and this was a, a company that printed an awful lot. And it all went horribly wrong. We ended up having to put pull one of the servers back to use as a local print host. We had to then invest in additional terminal server printing software. And then when they try and send these 500-page color documents <laughs> over a two-meg two line, line. Yeah. it went horribly wrong. I'm not privy to the details on that. I'm just... I've just been listening to what the, our customers have been saying. I, I'm not working on the team that does the Azure stuff anyway. So and I would and say, I would say these days when you uh, when you actually do the printing stuff from uh, from some like sort of terminal, 
solution, it, it it's pretty effective in mapping the port back. Yeah. I, also, yeah, I, you I still have the problem with spooled documents being tremendously huge. Yeah. Yeah, because they're, they're always massively decompressed. Um, they'll be using bitmaps instead of you know, anything else for, for images. Um, but that said, personally, it doesn't affect me. I hardly print. Um, I, I have a printer, but I use it as a scanner. Um, I, I suppose there are still people that do a lot of printing. Um, in some ways, perhaps, perhaps tablets have replaced that. People are much more likely to have something, rather than print it off, have it in a, a format that they can grab on their tablet easier. For most uh, companies, it's quite important. Yeah, invoicing. Mm. I yeah, mean, yeah, you know, uh, how do you invoice? Most people uh, want a piece of paper. They need a piece of paper. Yeah, I'm, you know, my my wife works in accountancy, and if if account, if you told accountants that they couldn't have bits of paper um, anywhere, then I think they would possibly have some form of meltdown. Mm-hmm. Um, that everything has to be paper based. There are no. There are, I believe, some form of systems where you can go paperless, but you have to jump through so many hoops. Um, and because accountants don't like change, they're never going to get there. So there are still uh, industries where there are massive amounts of paper printed and consumed. And um, I guess those will probably not really be appropriate workloads to be to be putting up into the cloud. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going into the whole accountant's uh, discussion again because people. <laughs> well, she people got quite upset last time, so we absolutely <laughs> kill me if you, she ever meets me in person. Uh, but I don't. I, I honestly don't know. As with everything else we've been talking about today, but uh, I, I, I guess the solution is still to do some kind of uh, local print services that piggyback on the cloud solution and get the data back and, and print it out again. But I don't know. How long before that's built into the printer? Though? I guess that's that's really where you know the the secret sauce and the you know the the impressive bit is is if your printer talks to Office three six five and effectively gets emailed the document and printed yeah. out locally. Yeah. Or I mean, I'm just I'm just throwing this in here with with Citrix. We have a big Citrix environment. And a lot of people remote that are connecting and printing stuff through there, it's mapping back to whatever local printer is on their machine. That yep. seems to work really well. But. Oh, the old uh, screwdrivers, wasn't it, wasn't it called that? <laughs> there was a couple of different products that were sort of built that eventually, I think, got built into for Windows for like the universal print driver stuff. Yeah. Um, and actually, say it, work, it works reasonably well as long as you're not printing massive bitmaps all the time. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, let's not talk about printing anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, we should start a sub- Let's bring things back up to the modern data center. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. We, we should start a, a, a sub-podcast. V-printing. Keep me at old school. From dot matrix to daisy wheel. Every week, every day of the week, we'll discuss printing. <laughs> that'll, that'll be fun. Bring along some amusing sound clips from like printers of yesteryear. Could you tell the difference between a nine and a twenty-four pin dot matrix? Yeah, I don't know if you've seen it, but they come out. They came out with these like um, documents where it's just random garbage, but you can make your printer, your old dot matrix printer, play full songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like pretty cool. Pity. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's always use 
we can all use a printer that syncs to you. Uh, that'll be. I, I need one next to my bed so I can fall, to, fall asleep at night, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't own a printer. <laughs> How on earth did we manage to get into printing? I, I mean, seriously, guys. Hey, guys, I tried to get us out of it two minutes ago. We're still in it. <laughs> So we we started with like you know hot off announcements uh, things that have only been sort of you know made public in the last twenty four hours and we kind of well we we finished with technology that's a good twenty five years old and we're proud of it yeah pretty much and again I don't know anything about it anyway so. okay guys thanks a lot for listening to V Soup number forty nine forty nine. Um, as usual, you can catch us on Stitcher, iTunes, or vsoup.net.